Welcome to The Next Imperative, a podcast hosted by AM Energy leaders tackling key issues and trends in the industry. Hello, welcome to Alvarez and Marsal's The Next Imperative. My name is Jeff Angulo. I'm your host. Joining me today are my colleagues, Managing Director Francois Bardie and Managing Director Al Carnwright. Gentlemen, welcome. Today, we're going to talk about oilfield services and equipment companies and start with the macro environments that are impacting them in today's market. Francois, maybe you could start us off talking about some of the impacts to offshore versus onshore in the oilfield services business. Yes, Jeff, uh, very different environments for onshore versus offshore. If you think about the macroeconomics affecting onshore versus offshore, very different dynamics. Um, for the onshore, we typically look at it as short cycle. We can increase production very quickly onshore. The infrastructure is present. You can link into existing pipeline gathering facilities and link into um, the uh, downstream and chemicals. When it comes to offshore, very different uh, situation there. Longer term investments, longer cycle, uh, payout time is much longer and you need to build a large capital infrastructure. Very often in an international um, environment, so uh, very complex governmental uh, regulations, um, dynamics with the host countries that are uh, challenging uh, to, uh, to, um, uh, to, uh, to, to address. Wonderful. Al, what are your thoughts? Well, I think Francois touched on most of them, but the onshore, it seems like every time we turn around, onshore keeps getting commoditized from a service perspective. So it's really hard to differentiate, especially U.S. onshore. Now, as you go onshore in other parts of the world, there's some differentiation that I think you can do. But we're seeing real differentiation, a real widening of the competitors when it comes to offshore and, uh, and who can do what. Uh, so I think to- totally different games, as Francois touched on, and requires a totally different, obviously, products and services, but also approach to business from a service company perspective. What about international versus domestic U.S.? What are the differences in those markets? Domestic U.S. onshore is pretty much what Francois and I addressed. Off- onshore international um, is becoming a bigger, bigger part of people's portfolio. And I think it will in the future. Is the risk different? Possibly. It's, it's, it's a matter of addressing political risk, and maybe the U.S. Is, is, is less politically risky, but most of us don't believe that today. Uh, so the onshore market is evolving. Whether you're looking at Argentina or you're looking at Colombia, uh, looking at China shales, I mean, there's a bunch of shales all over the world. Uh, so I think the onshore business is going to pick up Australia is another example. Uh, the offshore, you have the Gulf of Mexico, and if we can get beyond permitting and get stuff done, the industry clearly wants to do a lot of exploration and development in the Gulf of Mexico, which opens up huge opportunities for the OFSE companies that, are, that play in that market. And same with international. Uh, exploration has to come back into vogue because uh, inventory is declining. Are you seeing the commoditization of the onshore players in outside the U.S. like you do here? Not so much. Um, we looked. At, we worked with a couple of of the global service companies, and there certainly seemed to be more stickiness uh, internationally 
between OFSE companies and the operators than what you saw in the U.S. Um, and there's a there's obviously, and we'll touch on it later, but there's obviously a, a issues now with getting access to not only equipment but services and people. And um, I think that's a trend that's going to continue, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, I think. Francois, Jeff, let, let, let's go back uh, to your question about international versus U.S. The operators are looking at the upstream very differently than they have in the past. The investor relations, um, the investor expectation is very different than it has been when before it was about finding new resources and keeping production uh, or increasing production and chasing growth now the investors are looking for return on ca on uh, on cash on cash effectively and return on capital so um the upstreamers are looking very differently at their portfolio right now and we're seeing a lot of um m a happening internationally and the upstreamers are looking very differently at their portfolio. They're exiting some of the uh, older basins, you know, like West, West Africa, Indonesia, Malaysia, um, and they are starting to invest in uh, more greenfield opportunities like Guyana, uh, Madagascar, or Suriname. And uh, this will create opportunities for OFSE to you know, work very differently with IOCs and work very differently with the national oil companies who will, by default, inherit some of the assets that are um, sold by the IOCs or transferred to uh, private equity or other owners. In recent years, the investor community has pushed back on oil field services companies investing capital in their businesses. Conversely, we've seen an increase, a steady increase in capital spending from the upstream operators. And I believe we're getting to an inflection point where some of the equipment is, is getting tired and requiring more maintenance, uh, and there's need for innovative new equipment and just not only replacement, but adding equipment in, in some areas. But the investor community seems to be resistant to the oil field services companies making those investments. Do you see that attitude changing as we go forward now that we've seen a couple of years of steady demand increases? Well, you're highlighting a, a complex dynamic, Jeff. Um, the OFSCs are stuck really with two requests that are quite different. One from the investors, which is to return cash and limit, in, limit investment in, in capital and renewing the fleet of assets. And the operators who are looking for um, I would say no downtime uh, from their service companies and looking for um, very new equipment to be deployed. So uh, obviously there is a challenge here. The price of commodity is uh, likely to be the arbitrage between the two and the OFSEs will have to decide when to make the um, investment into the new equipment. This is likely uh, you know, something that they need to look at very carefully. Um, there's some, something to be said about doing an early investment. Um, if you can benefit from this uh, uh, good commodity price cycle, uh, make an early investment in your capex. Uh, you may come ahead at the end of the cycle where you, know, you have a fleet of equipment which is younger, uh, requires less maintenance than your competitors, and you may be the last man standing during the downturn. So the first one in gets more opportunity to recoup their costs 
before the next cycle. Exactly. If you make a little bit of a risky investment up front, you may capture the value on the back end. Al, what do you think? I think it's a real conundrum, uh, and Francois laid it out perfectly. You've got the investment community saying to the operators and the OFEC companies, we expect distributions, we expect minimal debt. At the same time, you've got operator cash flow growing, which puts, a, which puts pressure on the OFEC companies to deliver new products and services. I think the, the challenge for OFEC companies is they need to standardize products. Right now, there's just way too much customization. And as long as they're customizing everything, whether it be domestically or internationally, then they're going to be behind the curveball. They'll never be able to keep up. So where will this all lead to? Even without consolidation, we've got a shortage of people and services and and product uh, inventory. So if you think that we're going to be in a a consolidation environment at some point, that's even going to put further pressure on the OFSE companies to deliver what the operators are looking for. So I think it's, I think it's a conundrum that's going to continue for a long time, uh, as long as the investment community demands discipline. And let's hope they always do. What are the macro impacts of that to commodity prices, to supply and demand? Well, I think... If you, if, unless you believe demand for, let's talk crude for now, unless you believe demand for crude is going to drop and we're back to higher levels than we were pre-COVID and we've got middle-class societies being built in two major countries in the world. So it's hard to imagine demand for crude in the short term being 10 or 20 years dropping. So if you've got demand staying up or even growing and you've got capital investment staying within cash flow. What it says to me is we're going to be in an environment where we're going to be in a, really an accelerated oil price environment. How long does it last? I think it lasts until demand gets destroyed because I don't see a supply. Um, I don't see a supply recovery based on the amount of capex the majors have put into the business. Thank you. You, you raised the topic of consolidation, and that's great. That's one of the things I wanted to talk about. We've seen a lot of that in the last three or four years with the upstream operators. And my expectation, frankly, was that we would see a lot of it on the oilfield services side. And I don't feel like we've seen relatively as much. I would like to know your thoughts on that. And has that activity or lack of activity been surprising? And where you see it going uh, in the next few years? Francois? Jeff, um, you know, we've been talking about the OFSC as one group of, of companies, and I, I think we need to differentiate here maybe pure players versus integrated uh, companies as, um, you know, all, all the larger OFSCs. Um, if you look at, I think they have very different dynamics. Um, we've seen for large players, we've seen a, a, a few mergers and acquisitions um, in Technip FMC, uh, Baker and GE, and, uh, and Schlumberger and Cameron. Um, these, you know, have been complex, um, and uh, I think the jury is still out to decide whether they were, you know, the right ones or not. But at least the thinking on paper made a lot of sense. Um, if you're looking at uh, integration between equipment and installation or between uh, subsurface and surface, a lot of this makes a lot of sense if you're thinking as an operator how to deliver turnkey solutions. Um, now, you know, the investors, as you pointed before, I think are looking at 
financial products to invest in. And for them, they're looking at pure plays. They like to understand what they're investing in. So that brings us towards uh, the pure players, OFSE. And for those, I think, to be successful, they have to focus on... Um, being agile, being very close to the client, being geographically very attuned to what is the need, what is the technology that is going to be um, differentiated and provide the best value. I think that is a reason you're not seeing a lot of M&A is because, you know, these companies know what they're good at. And when they look at the next company over, the synergies are not obvious. They're just one plus one equals two. And the market doesn't really re- reward this type of uh, transactions. Now, any thoughts to add? No, unfortunately, I think that is the scenario we're in right now, is the only thing that might drive consolidation at an accelerated pace is the message people are getting is you got to have a scale. And right now, scale is people are focused on scale within their current product uh, family. And frankly, you can't find a whole lot of consolidation if you're just going to scale within your product family. Um, so it's going to take really stepping out and uh, taking $2 billion companies or $4 billion companies and combine them with another 2 or $4 billion company. But it, it adds a whole bunch of complexity uh, as you start integrating different products, different geographic regions, different everything else. And I think that's why we haven't seen it. It's just a lot of it's a lot of brain surgery that you have to go through to make it work. So you got to, as a board, you got to feel very comfortable that this is this is You've something you want to do. You've already got kind of the big four, who have a lot of integrated offerings, and the smaller companies, it doesn't. The complexity is a, is a factor too big to overcome. Yeah, I think so. You raised a, a, another point we wanted to, to talk about a little bit: the, the narrow focus. What, what we've seen over the last couple of years is investors appear to be rewarding the oil field service equipment companies with the narrow focus in terms of their product offerings. Uh, and, and the equipment that they manufacture versus the, the big three or four that, that are not seeing the same price bumps that we've seen in some of the smaller companies. Uh, on the flip side, in many cases, the operators, I think, want to see turnkey solutions from one end to the other without having to call three or four companies and, and manage it, certainly in the bigger operations offshore. Um, what, Al, what are you seeing in this area? What do you think is going to happen if we've got a situation where the customers are thinking about oil field service equipment companies very differently than the investors and how do they come come together? Well, I think you need to separate the operators into different categories. You've obviously got the integrated majors that their portfolios are global, deep water, shelf, everything else, shale. Then you've got the pure play shale players. And then you've got, then you, then you step back and you say, well, what are the service companies doing? You've got pure play service companies for onshore. They're getting rewarded in the marketplace. The same way pure play shale players in single basin or two basins seem to get rewarded at times in the marketplace. So I think, I th- again, I think that, that prevents consolidation from taking place. I'm not sure it makes a lot of sense long term. But I do think that's the way the market currently looks at the business is the, the, the more I can model it, <laughs> and the best way I can model it is if it's a simple business, a uh, few products, few regions, few basins, whatever the case be, uh, the more they I think they can, they can extract a premium in value. Francois, anything to add? No. Simple. <laughs> um, human capital. We've seen this issue cropping up on the upstream side, I think, with 
a generation aging out. And in the oil field services side, over the last 30 years, you've seen every cycle, huge waves of layoffs and then almost immediately rehires. And that's taken its toll. In, in recent years, we've seen, or we've observed after the last cycle, that companies like Amazon are taking the employees and saying, hey, instead of taking the risk out in an oil field, you can drive a truck and, and deliver packages for us and we'll pay you the same. How is that going to impact the oil field services companies from being able to grow and meet the demand that, that's continuing to increase? And, and on top of that, what can they do about it to, to counter that and keep people in the fold? Al, Al what are your thoughts on the, on the human capital situation? Jeff, I think, it, I mean, we talk about shortage of equipment we, and services. It all comes back to people. And we had 2008, we had 2014, we had 2020. Every six years, we have had a collapse in commodity price for the last three cycles. Now, that may be a coincidence, but it was six years apart for different reasons. And every time we went through that, we laid off thousands and tens of thousands of employees, both on the operator and the OFSC front. And when we go to try to rehire them, when things recover, uh, they're on the beach, they're running hot dog stands, they're doing anything other than working, coming back to the oil field service. So I think it's a huge issue for us. It's going to require, I think, a much more global workforce uh, because we're not going to be able to solve it with, uh, uh, with, the t- with the types of individuals we're used to. Uh, whether that be in, in Nigeria or Angola or wherever it is, it's going to be a different workforce. And um, I think it's, uh, if I'm a CEO, it's the number one issue that keeps me up at night, is how do I, how do I staff my company to be successful through the cycles? Francois? Jeff, the question of talent in the industry is a very challenging one, um, and it uh, spans across OFSC and operators. Uh, operators usually during a downturn try to protect the engineering functions, especially the subsurface historically. And um, they have the ability to leverage a little bit more the OFSC and, and use OFSC as uh, staff augmentation or, or contract more. Um, and I think when there is a downturn, it, it dominoes down. Uh, there is initially additional demand for um, for OFSC, but then it cascades and, and they are uh, squeezed and they have to let go of quite a few people to, 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 to manage their cash flow. Um, when on the upside, the OFSC has the opportunity to, to hire faster again. Now, uh, the industry uh, is facing a double challenge, I think. The first one is a lot of the experience and executives that were hired in the 80s are now retiring. And uh, we're losing uh, people that are not being replaced very easily. Uh, secondly, the oil and gas sector is not attracting talent like it was in the early 2000s, where you know we were exploring in the Arctic, we were looking at very deep water, uh, we're looking at uh, high pressure, high temperature wells. Um, you know, it was much more challenging than uh, running an unconventional business. Uh, and we were attracting in the industry talent that was on par or even better than technology with salaries that were uh, quite high. Um, I think we need to look for solutions. Uh, digital is the first one that comes to mind, and I think it will address some of the issues. We probably can replace some of the workforce, but 
at the end of the day, oil and gas is um, is an experience-based business. Um, there is a bit of an art to it. Uh, it does require uh, human intervention. It does have an aspect of safety, uh, which is you know learned on the job. And I don't envision that uh, digital would replace entirely uh, a, a large segment of the of the talent that's needed uh, for this industry. Thank you. Planning and forecasting. Is this something that the oil field services and equipment manufacturers do well, do you think? Are there some that could do better? And what, what are they doing or not doing that differentiates the, the two groups? And how can it be improved? Jeff, I, I think this is part of a, almost a wider question. You know, um, first you have OS, OFS and you have OFE, which arguably are slightly different businesses. But let's park this for a second and let's address it as one group. You know, the OFSE uh, companies have been very successful by bringing new technologies when we're looking at Frontier that I mentioned before, Arctic, deep water. These were the differentiators and technology was in demand and, and that was sufficient to command the higher prices. Um, as Al indica indicated earlier, a lot of the basins now are using commoditized technology. So the technology differentiation is not quite as uh, beneficial to set price. What I'm getting at here is you're looking at OFSC that you that should become more like industrials and uh, should develop um, very strong processes when it comes to capital allocation, but also manufacturing, uh, pricing and sales, uh, as well as procurement and supply chain. And I believe there are quite a few opportunities to do better capital allocation. Secondly, we're definitely at a period of transition. I mean, everybody's talking about the end of oil and gas. Um, that certainly is uh, something that we could discuss for quite, quite a long time. Um, but there is definitely, you know, a push from the investors to move from growth to um, to to return and margins, and so when you're doing capital allocation, that creates a very different di uh, uh, dynamic. Um, you need to be very careful about your sales um, and understanding your pipeline there, and um, understanding where you want to make the investment, mostly for margin and not just to stay close to your clients and and capture market shares. Yeah. Well, I, I think I'm, I'm listening to what Francois is saying. I couldn't agree more. But, but Jeff, I think if you go back in time, you look at all the technology this industry's invented. It's amazing. 3D seismic, which unlocked deep water. Deep water exploration. We drilled to the center of the earth. Who would have imagined that? Then we got into the natural gas and LNG. Then we got into fracking, horizontal drilling. So this industry's unlocked amazing technologies. The question is, is what's the next frontier where the operator's gonna push the service companies? And it's not clear to me what that is, because deep water, we're, we're kind of back to deep water, at least trying to be, but we're kind of back back to the past in, in the basins we're in. There's really no new technology that I've seen other than through the energy transition or the clean energy push. That is gonna be a totally different um, uh, technology and to be honest the oil industry is the only one that can likely solve it because we have good engineers 
and we're used and, to complex, complex used problems to, that they can solve. Absolutely. So I, I think when it comes to whether it be whether it be hydrogen or whether it be um, uh, power, no matter what it is, I think the oil industry is in the in the in the in the center of making that change happen. Uh, the only one that's off limits, I think, is nuclear. I don't see an oil company stepping into nuclear, but I could be wrong there too. Thank you. And that leads to the next topic is where do OFSEs have opportunities to grow? I think energy transition might be one, uh, digital may be another, and, and would love to know your thoughts on, on why don't we start with the energy transition piece? How do, how do OFSEs grow and compete there? The first thing they're doing, rightfully so, is they're decarbonizing their own business. Then they're focused on coming up with products that their customers are going to need that lead to lower carbon, lower emissions. So I think they're doing the right things as far as uh, uh, from a business perspective. It is costly. The returns are questionable right now, but uh, there's a lot of focus going into it and a lot of time and, and money, frankly. Uh, so I think the energy transition is going to be one. Digital, Francois touched on it, is a huge opportunity for our business. And if you look at what the industrials have done relative to what we've done, we're, we're kind of neophytes. We're, we're still babies in that world. And uh, that's one area where we need to really accelerate our learning and our applications. And that's an area where Amazon and others have been doing a lot of hiring of knowledgeable oil and gas folks in the last couple of years. Clearly, they must be gearing up for, for some opportunity there or, or deliver some new product there. Yeah, if you, we, we did a research paper years ago, and I'm not sure it still holds water today, but I think it does. We looked at all industries that had major breakthroughs. In other words, something that just reinvented the industry, like Apple, like the like all of our Apple phones. And we could not find one case where the industry was reinvented by the industry players, which is pretty shocking. But we could not find one scenario where the industry reinvented itself. Other than, I would say, this industry has reinvented itself, but every 10 or 15 or 20 years. Uh, and the question is, how do we reinvent ourselves and get on the next S-curve? And how does that impact the OFSE companies? Um, but, I think that, but I think it's digital, and I think it's being thoughtful and where we in, make our investments in the energy transition. Thank you. Francois, what are your thoughts? I'd like to go back to energy transition. I think it's, uh, it's a term that we use for uh, different aspects. Uh, one is renewables, another one is decarbonization, and um, yet another one is uh, clean tech. And I think these need to be looked at differently, and the role of OFSE um, can be debated for all three. Where I agree with Al very strongly is in the quality of the engineers in oil and gas. And so when it comes to decarbonization and clean tech in particular, it's very interesting to see the investment that's coming out of uh, VC and that is being picked up by OFSE. I believe that the OFSE um, companies will actually start building their own research and development around the technologies, and they have a very natural market to go test and deploy these technologies. So I'm quite bullish, actually, on the opportunity. What I expect is we'll see a pivot from the OFSE where... For now, we see a lot of acquisitions for companies that have been started in, and seeded by VC. 
to OFSE actually starting to invest their own research and development money and, and creating their own technology. So that, that's actually very exciting. Gentlemen, what can OFSEs do from an operational standpoint to differentiate themselves? I'm not sure about differentiation, but certainly improving performance. Right now, the focus is on margin, cash flow, EBITDA, uh, things that are critical, including, as Francois spoke to, the capital investment and where they're going to deploy that. But we still have a hard time working through the morass of data that we have across the OFSC industry inside companies. And we have a hard time connecting uh, market signals to product inventory and delivering product on time. And I think it's, 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 it is going to require a totally different, I think, a totally different uh, perspective and stepping back from the way we think we, we needed to do it to start over again. You know, how can FedEx and uh, Amazon build a business that delivering parcels in the next day and we can't figure out how to, build, how to get inventory in a, in a customer's hands that ordered it 12 months ago? I mean, there's just something fundamentally quite not right about that. So I think that is a huge opportunity across our industry, is still getting closer to the customer, understanding the customer buys signals, under, making sure that we have inventory just in time, which brings in the whole concept of last mile. Um, so I think there's a huge opportunity in that area that I think the industry should really continue to fine-tune and focus on. Jeff, you know, what, what's interesting is a lot of OFS companies for planning are relying on public information, public data or uh, some proprietary data to understand where the market is going, you know, three, five years from now. And, and that makes sense for the corporate strategy. But we talked about capital allocation earlier in this uh, podcast. Um, and, um, you know, what's interesting is the OFS have very good understanding of what's going on. In fact, their best position to know the what the operators are about to do. They understand their clients, they know what is the demand for their services and equipment, and if they were to use this information very um, very well, they would be able to actually operate uh, a much more agile model. So sales, uh, SNOP, very important part of capital allocation in my mind. This is an important topic. We maybe should have an episode on this later. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Next Imperative. We had a great discussion around OFSC. And in the next episode, we're going to talk more specifically about what makes a world-class OFSC and how companies who aspire to that can make changes and pull different levers to get there. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Next Imperative so you never miss a new episode. Also, visit our website at alvarezandmarsal.com to learn more and to connect with us.